Hello, Saul and Patrick here. We want to introduce you to a new podcast from Goalhanger that we believe you'll be interested in, Disorder. Disorder is co-hosted by Jason Pack, a senior analyst at the NATO Foundation, and Alexandra Hall-Hall, a former British ambassador. Disorder tackles questions like, how did the world get so disordered? What are the fundamental principles behind our current era of geopolitics? And how do seemingly disparate geopolitical challenges like climate change, tax havens, and unregulated cyberspace all interact with each other to feed into our current era of global enduring disorder? If you want to better understand how our global system works, or rather doesn't, and hear how we can get ourselves out of this mess, then this is the show for you. The first few episodes are out now. You can find them searching Disorder, where you get your podcasts, or via the link in this episode's notes. Coming up now is a short taster from their episode with Corey Shaker, Director of Foreign and Defense Policy at the American Enterprise Institute. Welcome to the era of global enduring disorder. That's why we've launched the brand new podcast, Disorder, with me, Jason Pack. Oh my gosh, Jason. Dun, 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 dun. You're scaring off our listeners before we've even begun. And I'm the co-host of Disorder, Alex Hall Hall. Yes, there is a little evil versus good here. I'm an entrepreneur and senior analyst at the NATO Defense College Foundation. While Alex is a former British ambassador, known for, you know, popping up equally in the Pentagon, Whitehall, the Middle East peace process, and occasionally even in India. And in this podcast, we're going to be exploring the state of geopolitics. Why is it so crazy? Why does nothing seem to work? Why don't countries coordinate or even act in their own best self-interests? How did we get into this era of global disorder? And adding to this interesting mix, Jason is an American who's become fed up with the state of politics in the US and has moved to London. And as I think some of you know, I have become a somewhat disenchanted Brit and I have now decided to move to America. We're both kind of political exiles and I think that gives us a really interesting and fresh perspective both on our original countries and the ones we're now living in. Disorder is a difficult thing to order. But Alex and I are going to try to draw on our experiences, whether it was trying to host a trade mission to Libya or advising oil companies about the price of crude. And we're going to track patterns. We're going to explore themes. And we're going to forecast where the next battles will take place. The reality is it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yes. As somebody once said to me, in 2019, when I was Brexit counselor, Buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy ride. But to help us unravel these disordered times, we will be guided along the way by some absolutely amazing expert guests. Guests like my good friend, Corey Shaki. Corey worked on the National Security Council in the George Bush administration first term, working to set up the NATO response force. Jason spoke to her for our episode looking at the role of NATO in setting up the world order. In this episode, Corey shared with us her views that the United States is indispensable in coordinating our allies to foster global order. I do not believe other free societies would have mobilized to assist Ukraine's defense if the United States did not step forward to do so. 
in part because most small and middle-sized powers, that is, everybody except us, doesn't feel strong enough in their own agency to step forward and do so. So when the United States steps back, other states step back further. And when we step forward, other states feel safe enough to step forward. To get a sense of our values, I've come to feel that NATO is itself a value. It's something that most people can unite around. Do you agree with this idea that NATO can be a warm and fuzzy place for us and help us believe in the West as a concept and liberty as something that resonates with people and that they would themselves be willing to make sacrifices or die fighting for? Absolutely. And I think you have seen this over the course of the last five or six years. You know, what our disgraced former president was brilliant at was asking first order questions that if people like me were good enough at our jobs, my mom would know the answer to. But when President candidate Trump said, why don't allies spend more for their own defense? My mom said, yeah, why is that? And why is it that more Americans would be willing to defend Germany than Germans are willing to defend Germany? That doesn't make obvious sense to her. And by the way, her reflexes are right on both of those counts. What you saw happen in the change in American public attitudes across the president's term of office, though, was they saw the consequences of coming to a different answer than the warm fuzziness of standing shoulder to shoulder with your closest friends, the people in the international order who most share your values, and the people who have both the greatest willingness and the greatest ability to help you protect and advance them. And so what you saw was a 15-point drop in support for the president's three signature policies, opposition to alliances, opposition to trade, and opposition to immigration. Because when friendly countries begin to be threatened, my mom actually wants to hold their hands and square her shoulders next to them and defend countries that we like, that share our values, that help us protect and advance our interests in the world. And that's the message to take. The United States as a global power and the predominant power in the order sees risks and trends before regional allies do. But when regional allies see them, they are both capable and willing to do more for the common defense. And that really matters not just for their security, but for ours. NATO is the home we go to when we are scared and when the people we care about most are scared. NATO has ideational value. And I think you sketched extremely eloquently how President Trump made the greatest case for the ideational value of NATO, just like the Brexiteers have made it for the EU. Speaking about how we feel and how NATO can maybe represent how we see our place in the world as Americans and Westerners, maybe you have some interesting anecdotes that you could share from when you were DOD desk officer for NATO <laughs> that tie together your beliefs about NATO as an important ordering institution and just how those things functioned and played out for you. 
Well, I went to work in Colin Powell's joint staff two weeks after Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990. And I stayed for, I guess, five years. And it was so much fun. So many important, specific policy questions about the nature of the international order and the advance of freedom, right? When President Bush was willing to invest the United States in the liberation of Kuwait from Iraq's invasion and willing to organize a global coalition of support for it on the argument that the international order is safe for all of us and prosperous for all of us because states cannot violate another state's sovereignty with impunity. So it was a privilege to help defend that argument and advance it and to put American power shoulder to the wheel. The United States is even stronger in the international order now than it was then, even though we don't feel it. And we ought not to be so fearful that other less powerful states have the ability to constrain us. We ought actually to be much more confident that the truths we hold to be self-evident are in fact universal aspirations. And we ought not to be so shy about making the case that what we want for the international order isn't just good for us, it's even good for the authoritarian states that oppose it. China doesn't get prosperous and strong without the liberal international order. Is there a crisis of confidence also when it comes for the righteousness of America to stand up and on occasion offensively defend the liberty that we value and the values that we think most humans want? I sincerely believe that we can deter our adversaries through sagely going on the offensive and undermining their abilities to threaten the global order and not found ourselves in this mess. It's a very solid argument that I nonetheless don't agree with because I think the United States, by choosing not to go on the offense, we maximize the number of countries that will support us if they believe we are pushed into taking action. That's the Biden argument. I think the Biden argument is uh, we can't take action because escalation may result. They took a number of good steps early that gave other countries time to have their domestic policymaking process get to where we wanted them to be. I thought that was incredibly adroit. And I'm very much in favor of free societies using the tools of free societies to protect ourselves and transparency and sharing information is a fundamental part of being a free society. So I love that we weaponized it and used it against a country that attempts to shield itself from judgment and information. I think that's a really smart way. But I do think for many countries whose support we want, and maybe even for my mom, that would make us look like the aggressors. And I think that makes clear that we're the good guys in this. 
For any of us who've ever worked in international institutions, we know how broken they are. They don't have teeth to enforce their diktats, and a lot of countries undermine the whole concept of working together. The reason we spoke to Korshaki is to grasp how does NATO, arguably the globe's most successful international institution, how does it work? And the the way it works is populations from the member states believe in it, and sometimes the NATO leader and NATO as an institution are more popular than the governments of the member countries. Could this be a model to deal with other international challenges like climate change or even the threats from artificial intelligence? I think that it could be, and those are the kind of ways of looking at problems that we're going to investigate in the Disorder Podcast. The Disorder Podcast is out now. If you love disorder or you hate disorder, make sure you follow us so you can get every episode right now in your feeds. Come and order the disorder with us. Disorder.